Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 9-18-2022, and we're continuing where we left off with the thought of the week and prayer. All right. Um, the thought of the week is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp Whoever it is to attain that spiritual growth of maturity. 
So again, thank God to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So at this time, we hand it over to Doug, give us a prayer. Thank you, Dave. Um, we are um, going to look to the Lord in prayer this morning, and I'll put it out there to see if there are those who have special requests. I do have one from you, Misty, already. But uh, other other requests? To my, to my family in prayer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My family as well. I'm glad I'm motivated out of the hospital. She's fine. Mm-hmm. And we pray for those who have not heard the gospel that they can be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Will do. Thanks, Dave. All right. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this this afternoon we have where we can come together as a church and to fellowship, uh, bring our prayer requests to you, uh, and think about uh, your thoughts, what who you are, and what you have done for us. We thank you for grace. And there's grace in both of those uh, magnanimous ways that you have graced us out which one is in salvation where our salvation doesn't depend on us it depends on your son jesus christ and his efforts his works we thank you for salvation which is free to us it's by grace it is a gift it is not of ourselves it is not by works done in righteousness it is to whoever would believe in him and they will have eternal life so we thank you for salvation and we thank you also father for the special calling that we have where you called us before the world began you called us to be in christ the part a part of this new creation we thank you for we did not have any input But all we can say is we thank you and we pray that we can come to love you as you have loved us before time began. So also, Father, we we have some other requests that are on the table that we we want to bring to your attention. And that is uh, one by the name of Kendall Asher. Father, you know what's going on in that circumstance. Uh, We pray for your... Uh, your will be done in this matter uh, and his be- on his behalf, Father. You, you know situation, you know where things are with him. Uh, we pray uh, that your will be that which prevails, and we know it will. Uh, we pray for the families of those who are... Um, his loved ones and his acquaintances, his relatives, his friends. Father, we pray for comfort that they may be able to accept not only the decisions that have been made, but that uh, they will have peace and comfort knowing that all things are in your hands. Also, Father, we pray for um, Sharice, who did just get out of the hospital recently. And... um, praying for the Sneed family as well, and especially for her, that she will continue strong in the Lord 
and uh, that you will heal her, Father, whatever uh, your will is for her in this life. Uh, we pray uh, that the best outcome for her, because we care uh, as well. Also for Fred, uh, who is going through uh, lots of circumstances and uh, some difficulties. And Lord, you know what's going on there. We pray for him as well and his family. That would include Brenda and the rest of the Presley family as well. Um, in particular, uh, Brenda, we pray for her who is helping in this situation, going back and forth and doing all that is necessary. Give her strength, Father, that she can continue to do these things um, as well. And watch her. We, we pray for her health as well, uh, that she will continue healthy while doing all of these things. We pray for the the Myers family. Uh, in particular, uh, we, we know that they were they just experienced loss. So we pray for them in the mourning. Uh, we pray um, in particular for whatever is on Bill's heart. Uh, we don't know what it is exactly, but you do, Father. You know all things. So we pray for all of Word of Truth, the, the Christian church family, wherever they may be, whether they're here or not. Pray for them, our extended families and loved ones. Uh, we also pray for the Word of Truth Church in Chicago, uh, in Illinois. <clears throat> we pray for Mike and his family and their church as well. We pray, uh, Father, for um, the world of unbelievers that are out there, the mission field that we have as ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, that you would use us to, to show them the matchless grace that you have provided for each and every one of them. Help us, help us help them, Father. Give us the wisdom and the knowledge to understand salvation in such a way that we can apply it to whatever they need. And also, Father, we pray for uh, peace in this world. All that is going on in this world is tough, Father. There's a lot. As we look at, all you, we do is look at the news and we are thrown into a lot of what's going on all around us. So we pray for the leaders that are over this world, that they will, that we would be able to continue peacefully in this world and be able to give the gospel uh, to those that are in need. And this is the Church Universal, wherever they are, whatever country they're in, we pray for them as well. And we pray that you will be able to use us. Uh, we pray for wisdom for ourselves, that we could grow up in this world, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that we will have wisdom to be able to know how to operate and how to handle things in this life. And Father, we pray for Misty, who is also on the call. She's come back. Uh, she said she's doing better, so we thank you for that. And we continue to pray for her, her welfare, and her well-being as well. All of these things we ask in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. All right. We are going to move forward with our notes
we are in uh, John, uh, John 17 and verse 25 today. Hopefully you have the notes. The scripture in question you should have uh, um, is righteous father. Though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. That's John 17 and 25. In your notes, as Jesus nears the end of his prayer to the Father, he revealed much about his inner thoughts. What is that the top of mind is revealed through his words in this, his, this last teaching and prayer to the Father? Can you imagine what many would see as the most important event in Christ's life was about to unfold? He was going to the cross, and yet, his focus on the build, on, on building his church. He, his focus was on building his church. His prayer centered on the establishment and security of the church, not Israel. After this prayer, he would be focused on the other part of his ministry, or his mission. He intensely uh, prayed in the garden, quote, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. That's in Luke twenty-two forty-two. His death on the cross for us is the other work he needed to complete before he could say, quote, it is finished. For sure, his saving work was critical for all in Adam's fallen race but he would receive the imputation of all our sins and be judged until the Father was satisfied. So in that, we are seeing, hopefully, uh, two clear purposes that Christ had to fulfill when he was here on the earth, when he was literally in time. One was he had to fulfill the... Uh, salvation plan, which everybody already knows about. What does that mean? That means he had to live a righteous life uh, before the Father. <clears throat> and that righteousness is the very righteousness that is imputed to all those who put their faith in the Messiah to come in the Old Testament and, uh, and all those who uh, believe in Christ going forward the righteousness of christ is what is their standing before the father and christ paid for every sin of every person that would ever be born on planet earth so that is um, without question heavy lifting if we could say but also he had other heavy lifting which was the establishment of this new dispensation. He would be the cornerstone on which uh, this new creation would would be would exist. And he came, he uh, prepared the apostles, the disciples. He chose them, he, he did all, he, he gave them an, a, a good introduction to what uh, spiritual life in this new age would be all about. So, uh, I think it's telling 
as we think about the, those dual purposes that Christ had. Wow, he had a lot on his shoulders, we could say. So we have this a uh, couple phrases here. Righteous, we're going to break it down into these phrases. The first one is righteous father. So Jesus sees the father as righteous. It's interesting because here was somebody who themselves uh, never sinned. They, he, we talked about the righteousness of Christ just now being imputed to all of us. This is our standing before the Father. So when we look at the person of Christ, as he is here in the world, praying to the Father, he calls him righteous Father. And so it's interesting that Jesus, I guess that would be true to say, of course he does. You, you might say, of course he sees him as righteous. <laughs> well, we should also see him as righteous. So righteousness, we should know, relates to the standards of the Father. That's one of the things we should think about when we think about righteousness. I don't know what people do think about when they think about righteousness, I'm just trying to set the direction so that people understand what righteousness is. And hopefully this will be something that helps us build on something that God has given us. He's given us his righteousness. So what is it? So righteousness relates to the standard of the Father. To note, the Father sees Jesus as righteous and demonstrates this by resurrecting him. So there's a couple of scriptures. Uh, even though we know the Father is righteousness, more importantly is that does the Father see Jesus as righteousness? Because that would impinge on how he sees us. That's interesting. I'm going to go to Mark 9, 7, just to note, does the Father see Jesus as righteous? Sure. sure. Quote, 9, 7, then a, a cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. So, does Jesus, is Jesus righteous according to the Father? The Father approves of him, we could say. Or Luke 3.22. Luke 3. Now, we, we know there's like four pronouncements of all. Four where Jesus is... From heaven, there is a voice that comes from heaven. But I'm just pulling a couple of them. Luke 3, 22 says, and the, this is at Jesus' baptism, and the Holy Spirit came down to him in the form of a dove. A voice from heaven said, You are my son, whom I love. I am pleased with you. That means Christ uh, matches, agrees with the Father's standards. And then there's 935. We'll just quickly go over that one. A voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Again, the Father is pleased with the person of Christ, his Son. So, <clears throat> does the, and not only that, we already said, he approves of him by, by the fact that he raised him from the dead. He did not leave him in death. He, ra he raised him from the dead, signifying 
his approval of the work of Christ on our behalf in terms of his righteousness. So point B, when we talk about standards, it is not what is done, but how it is done. That's just sounds like a play on words, but it's a direction here. Righteousness talks about standards. That's what, what are standards, we could say? Every one of us has standards. But I would not say all of us have the same standards. And I'm talking about personally. I, for, it's one thing to have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. And then how uh, the Father looks at us because we have the righteousness imputed to our account. It says we're righteous. <clears throat> In other words, we meet his standards. We do, do not violate his standards. Like, for instance, when Adam and the woman ate from the tree in the garden, that violated God's standards. God said, I don't want you to do that. Don't do that. If you do, there are going to be consequences. So Adam and the woman did it anyway. And so we call that sin. It violates God's standards. Where, where do we get these standards from? It's because God is righteous. He has high standards, very high. <laughs> More so than any person who was born in Adam, right? Now, I know we compare ourselves to God. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll think about things that are fair and equitable for us, and we'll say, oh, yeah, so this is... That seems fair, right? Wouldn't you agree? And then we look at other people and say, yeah. And they say, yeah, we would agree that's fair. And, and that's that sounds like it's fair. But God is saying, you guys are all fallen. Your, your standards are based on a fallen uh, person in Adam. You were born with this sin nature. You're none righteous, not even one. So whatever figuring we're doing, whatever calculating of standards we're doing, uh, it's all in the category of not the same standards as God. When it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We, that is to say that none of us can match the standards that God has, none of us, no human being has it, which is why we're thankful to God for providing righteousness to us that is compatible with what he agrees with, with his standards, as we should say. Now, we all have standards, and we talk about those standards. We must say what they are a little bit. We gave where we might agree that all of us might agree that some standard is good for us. Now, if we were to make it, I usually use this example to illustrate standards, right? Let's say you bought a, uh, a duplex, and now you want to rent both sides of it out. And so the renters are going to come in there. This is your house. Maybe you're going to live on one side, and you're going to have your renters living on the other side. And so... You have certain standards of conduct that you have according to, first of all, what the laws say. The law says you can't do certain things in the house. Uh, 
And you could say no, you could also include in your lease, you know, other standards that you might have for your tenants. Tenants um, may or may not have the same standards as you, but that lease defines what your standards are, what standards of conduct, you give them privacy that they can enjoy the property, you're not going to come knocking on the door every 10 minutes and ask them if everything is okay. So there is standards that are on both sides and at least defines them. What if the tenant violates uh, some of the rules that uh, are in that lease? What happens? What if he said, doesn't matter, standards don't matter? You could say, um, well, he didn't want to pay the rent. So, and if that's the case, what is, what should you do if the person doesn't pay the rent? Well, in the lease, it's defined what happens if a person doesn't pay the rent. I mean, that means you'd have to execute some judgment here and you would take that person to court and eventually get an order to have them evicted so that you can gain access back to the property so all of that is a process but it's not something where you can say well it doesn't worry i just forgive whatever they do is fine but you know what it doesn't match your standards if the person does not pay their rent this may not be the perfect example, obviously, then they're violating the standards that both of you both agreed to, and you both signed that lease. So they would have to uh, suffer the consequences uh, for their actions, for their decisions of not paying the bill. Or it could be something else. Maybe they're selling drugs out of the apartment. Maybe they're uh, doing things that are not according to the lease, and you're going to have to execute judgment on that. You said, well, you're not doing that. You Just giving them whatever standards they have. So even within the human realm, which is fallen with our fallen nature, we have standards that we have. If someone was living in your house, you would have rules of conduct for that person. And you would tell them that this, these are, you can't do thus and so. In house. Some rules will be understood. Well, you didn't tell me I couldn't do it. Well, you should know you can't do that. So, um, we all have standards and they could be violated. And we've seen that people have different standards of living. And that's just in one area, just one little area there. But in every other area of morality and you name it, there's all kinds of standards that we have personally that we would have. And um, we can't impose our standards on other people. But God is saying he has standards. Now, that shouldn't be surprising to us. That, that we, God's just, anything doesn't go with God. Like any old thing we want to give him doesn't go. We shouldn't be surprised that God has standards. And we are saying that his standards are high. He is saying he is righteous. He's holy. These are terms that tell us that God's standards are way higher than our standards and we would never be able to reach him. Hence, 
he gives us the righteousness of Christ. It is free. It doesn't cost anything. So, when we talk, this point here, when we talk about standards, it is not what is done, but it is how it is done. So you could say, well, I'm, I'm righteous. Well, God will look at you and realize that everything you do comes from your sin nature, and he will, he will reject it. It is not done in a way that he can approve. If he approves your standards, he has to lower his standard in order to do it. So if, if God says, okay, you can sell drugs while you're living in my house, then that would say that God is forgiving of that. Maybe he doesn't sell drugs, but he allows you to do it. That lowers, that's a lowering of his standards. His standards, he doesn't approve of drugs at all. So here you are violating his standards for him to not have justice when it comes to uh, your standards, your violation of his standards, then God, it is a lowering of God's standards. I hope it sounds very basic, but it must be said when we talk about God's righteousness and the why we need salvation. We need salvation because we're not righteous. We, we, have, we were born with a sin nature. We were born in sin. And we're not compatible with God. We should know that's an important factor as to when we think about why we need salvation. Righteousness is important. And God is saying, uh, Jesus is calling the Father righteous. We, I know we're sort of like off the subject a little bit because we're delving into what is righteousness just to make sure we understand this point. Point C. We can conclude then that the Father calling many sons into glory was done in such a way that it is compatible, agreeable, in accordance with his righteousness. For, for Christ to talk about this new church that's coming, this, you know, um, the spiritual dynamics of, you know, all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I. These are things that have never happened before. This is new theology that's coming on the scene. And what Christ is saying in all of this, all of these undertakings, he's saying that the Father is righteous in all of his dealings with man. So remember, it's not just what is done. Okay, God has done something fantastic. He's done this, but it's how he is doing it. He's bringing forward many sons in the glory, but he's doing it in a righteous way with the highest of standards. In other words, he didn't just sacrifice one thing so that he could accomplish another. You know how we say the end justifies the means. So it's what do we say when we say that? It means, well, we could do whatever we want as long as we have a good um, reason for doing it. Uh, we, the end will justify what we've done that was not maybe so righteous. But God doesn't do things like that. He can't if he would maintain the highest standard that he has, period, that we could possibly 
measure ourselves against. His standards are that high. He cannot, the end cannot justify. He can't do things that are evil or maniacal or manipulative in order to say, well, later, I did that because it justified, you know, what the, the greater good here. He can't do that. God can't be involved in that sort of thing. So when he brings these many sons into glory, and that's the context that we are in, he does it in a, compat- a, a, a way that is compatible, agreeable, and in co- accordance with his righteous standards. That's how we, we, under- we, we should understand Jesus saying righteous father in context. Point D, when we say God is good, we are saying this because we are seeing something about his dealings with man, his faithfulness toward us. Right? So if people talk about God is good, and there's, there's quips, people say God is good, and, and then the congregation will say all the time, God is good. Right? These are just things, and we, we have within our understanding, our theology, that God is good. Where do we get that from? We get it from the fact that God has the highest standard of righteousness. One of the byproducts or results of him having these high righteous standards and his dealings with man is that he's good. He's, we say he's good. Good is a derivative of the fact that God has these righteous standards. And he's willing to judge. Right? So when God judges, because he has to judge sometimes when things don't align with his standards, uh, we don't necessarily think that's good. Or when he has to discipline us, we don't say that's good. But it is. Everything he does is, is commensurate with his righteous standards. That's how we should always understand. So we say, that's why I say in parentheses, perhaps. Because really, fallen man can't fully understand God's righteous standards. Why? Because he's fallen. We said it already. How could he possibly understand perfect righteousness that God has. I mean, the highest standard that there is. How could he understand that? He can't. Because in his, his standards have been corrupted because of the sinful nature that he was born with. So he certainly can't understand God's righteousness. He certainly cannot. So uh, when we think about God is good, and, and this has become like just like a, a phrase that people say, an epithet, you know, like, God is good all the time. God is good. Well, let God demonstrate what he is in his goodness. It could be just something people say. It doesn't mean they really know God is good. They just say it. That's why I say perhaps. Because it takes some understanding before we're able to see who God is. We don't just automatically wake up one day saying God is good. You know, we've been might have been taught to say it, but we have to realize that He's good through 
what he's done, what he says, and in his dealings with man. That's how we would know God is good, right? So people will say, uh, I rode down the road. I had a flat. There was nobody around. My phone was dead. I didn't have service. All of a sudden, somebody came along and uh, they stopped and they had a tire just the right size and they told me they would give it to me and after it was all said and done they even changed my flat for me god is good praise god he, he sent that person over to me and i'm not saying whether they sent it but maybe it just was coincidental but what that person realized is god is good you know? and i'm not saying that god doesn't create circumstances like that i'm not saying he doesn't this is how people might come away saying God is good because of something that benefited them. But that means they don't necessarily see the bigger picture in all of this. That's how I'm trying to help us understand in all this. Let's go to the next point that helps us. Point E. We may not fully understand the righteousness of God, not until God reveals this to us. He has to show us what his righteousness is. And there's a scripture in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 that kind of gives us the reason why. 55, 8 and 9 says, oops, I'm in the wrong chapter here. 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are not, are not your thoughts. God's the way God thinks about things is not the same way we think about things. And my ways are not your ways. So the, the reason, so in God, the way he thinks about things is different than the way we think about things. And not only that, as a result of that, the way he does things is also different than the way we would do things, the ways we do things. And that's interesting because the ways he does things speak of his righteousness. Remember, we didn't say, uh, we, we said that it's not what is done, it is how it is done. And how it's done has to be done in a righteous way with uh, reference to those high standards. So it, it's important for God can't do just do any old thing that he wants to that is not in line with his righteous standards. When we say he's good, that means he has the highest standards. So it declares the Lord. Verse 9, just as how high is God's thoughts and ways different than ours? Is it just a little bit? No, it's a lot. Verse 9, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. How is that? As the heavens are higher than the earth. <laughs> so it's pretty high, I would say. Uh, so this is something we, we all ought to know and understand about ourselves when it comes to God. That we, we have to learn about God. God different from us. First of all, God is not a human being. It's, it's, he's different. He has different nature than we have. He's unlimited power, abilities that are not human. 
So God can do a lot of different things. And, and But everything he does, he does in a way that is said to be righteous and different, higher, higher than our ways and thoughts. So that tells us we're limited in who we are as human beings. Not only are we limited in terms of space and time, but we're limited because of how we were born. We were born in sin, shape and iniquity. So there's certain limitations that that provides as well. So we don't, we may not fully understand God's righteousness, but you know what? That's why he says that we have to be transformed. We have to be, renew our minds so that we can come to know who he is and what his standards are. We wouldn't know otherwise. So God has to tell us what his righteousness is. Otherwise, we would not know. And we wouldn't want to know. God intervenes. Point number two. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you. So the first thought here is the world, right? The world is the current creation which has fallen in Adam. We already said that. And an interesting point, even though it might not be the point made by Jesus here, but uh, just... This is John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> John 1, 9 and 10. So the real light which shines on everyone was coming into the world. So the real light. So John the Baptist was not the light in the previous verses. Uh, he came to talk about the light, but he himself was not the light. Uh, but notice... Jesus is the light, and that, and it shines on everyone. Every man was coming into the world. Ah, so that's interesting when we think about the, this life that is the light of men. He's the light of men. He was the, verse four. He was the source of life, and that life was the light. Of humanity. So we already said in verse, oh, you know what? I'm looking at a different translation. I knew something was, was different, but it still says the same stuff. Let me give it to you in NIV, which we've been commonly using here. So for, verse 4 says, in him, Christ, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, right? So if we, we look at verse three, through him all things were made. Without him, without him was nothing was, was made that has been made. Nothing was made that has been made. So even the life that we possess was given to us by him. And that is the person of Christ. He's the creator of all things. And verse 4 is bringing that out. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. <clears throat> there was a man sent. His name was John. So I'm skipping all the way down to verse uh, 9 and 10 again just to give the context. Right, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So every person who has light and the light is the life you could say, is coming into the world. He's the true light. 
gives light to everyone's coming in the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. That is that's something to comprehend. How just we've talked about how even the creation of man, but even though we're created and he gave us life. Because of what Adam did, we are created with circumstances that limit us. And here we are, we don't even know our creator. Our creator comes into the world, and we don't even know it's him. <clears throat> so what, what do we see of him? We, we just don't see him. We see him as a regular person. He was in the world, but the world did not recognize him. Did not see who he was. Not even those who uh, were told about him. The Jews, right? Israel, he came to that which was his own, verse 11, but his own did not receive him. They rejected him as well. So this is to say, um, the world does not know Christ. <clears throat> so we're talking about the world in general, right? But we're, we're, we're going to move on because obviously, I told you I was going off a little bit by taking you in that direction. Point B, Christ is the Savior of the world, but many will refuse his work on their behalf. We already know John 3, 18 through 30, and 36 says that uh, we're condemned, and the reason we can... We, let me just read it since we're already there. John 3, 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Verse 36, similar. <clears throat> Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So, Christ is the Savior of the world, but many refuse that as well. Again, so not only do they not recognize these in the world. He, he's the one that's the very source of life, <clears throat> but they do not believe in him for salvation. So point C, the world does not know you. Right. So though the world does not know you is the phrase. Um, the Father's plan, this is, well, Jesus is talking about they don't know the Father. So let's really get to what is being said here in the context. The world doesn't know the Father. That is, in particular, the Father's plan. It was kept hidden from the world, especially the introduction and inauguration of the church. And I could read Ephesians 3, 2 through 4 just to show where that is played out in Scripture. Ephesians 2, 2 says, In which you... No, no, no. It's 3-2. I hope I didn't say that wrong. Nope, I said it right in the notes. 3-2. <clears throat> Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That word administration is oikonomia, which is uh, means administration. It also means dispensation, right? This time we're living in now. He's saying, you've heard about it. I, I hope you have. 
because then if you haven't, you might think we're still in some sort of age of Israel or something. But surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, what is it? The mystery. Something that was hidden from Old Testament uh, people in general, made known to me by revelation. Now, they're already written briefly. Uh, in reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. All of that is going on in this age that is hidden. <clears throat> People didn't know this age was going to be even on the scene, but it is. It is on the scene. So, um, so the world, the Father's plan is what we come to realize is the great reveal in this age. It's the Father's plan. Well, not only is the age a mystery, but the reveal, the great reveal is the Father's eternal purpose. That's what is being revealed. And not only revealed, but God is actually calling out those many sons into glory. This is the time in which he's doing it. This age. Point D, John 1, 18. When no one has ever seen God. Now he's referring to God the Father. This is Jesus, right? That no one has ever seen God, but the only but God, but the only, the one and only Son, that's Christ, the monogenes, <clears throat> who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And that's interesting. If I go to John 1, 18, let's look at it. John 1, 18. But before we go to... 118, let's look at 117. For the law was given through Moses. It's in dispensation. When, when God gave the law, it was new. It was a new age. Law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there, that's a characterization of this new age we're living in. We're not living in the age of the law of Moses. In fact, it tells us we're not even under the law. We're living in the age characterized by what is called grace and truth. We'll have to talk more about that as we go, but no one has ever seen God, and that is God the Father. What do you mean, ever seen God? What he's referring to is what has been hidden. So when, when something is hidden, <clears throat> no one has ever seen it, and we can now say that it is revealed uh, but but here it is, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he's how we're going to make the Father known. Wow, this plays into a whole lot of different things that uh, we could get into about how the Father deposited all the information about his plan. He's given it to Christ. Uh, Christ then is the Holy Spirit has been brought on board. Uh, Spirit of truth to be able to articulate those things that uh, belong to Christ will glorify him. So we have a communication plan, you could say, that is enabled so that everybody will be able to understand what's happening. Well, But then it's only revealed to certain people. He didn't reveal it to Moses and Daniel and all these people in the Old Testament. It was... It was revealed 
to us. So that's how we're going to see, see it unfold. Okay, and that's point D. Point E, knowing the Father is knowing his plan, which is given to Jesus and made understandable to us by the Spirit of Truth. So if you, when we talk about knowing the Father, no one has ever known the Father. Well, what are you talking about, knowing the Father? Well, knowing the Father's plan. Understanding the Father's plan. John 16, 12 through 15, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because he will receive it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So the Holy Spirit is not going to be about himself. You know, it's not going to be bolstering his doctrine or something. He will take from Christ, and that is what he will make known to us. Christ says that glorifies him. Being able to represent him as his spokesman. The Holy Spirit takes the... Uh, the, the baton here, and he is able to communicate everything that is about Christ and that he wants us to know. And, and this, Christ says, glorifies him. So if you, Christ does not necessarily communicate with us. It is God the Holy Spirit that does the, learn, the, the teaching where we are guided and led into all truth. It is God the Holy Spirit who does all that. Christ says he takes from me and makes it known to you. This glorifies Christ. In other words, this shows uh, and what is in Christ and the accomplishment that he has done. Uh, it glorifies the person of Christ. We, we also know it glorifies person of the Father. How do we know that? Verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. So this is part of the plan where the Father had deposited all his plan in Christ. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So we just, that's just verse 14. It came from the Father. The information that Christ has is part of the Father's plan, that the Father gives it to Christ. And then it's part of the plan also that the Spirit gives it to us. I hope this is not confusing. <laughs> We've covered it, but we could spend more time on it. It's definitely the com what we would call the communication plan for the church. So, And it, it even gets deeper than that because then God has given gifts and he's given the pastor teacher the gift to equip God's people for works of service, that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the fullness and stature of Christ. So the pastor teacher now is on board in the communication plan to be able to help the Spirit, right, uh, to aid in directly teaching the Spirit from the Spirit of Truth. But all of this is a chain of custody that goes all the way back to the Father. So the Father deposited with Christ. Christ 
says the Holy Spirit is now in control of the communication plan. He's going to make, he's going to take um, from me and he's going to make it known to you. And now the, he's, Christ says, well, I just, just to note, you should know that uh, everything that belongs to the Father now belongs to me. That's why I'm telling you the Spirit is going to take it from me and make it known to you. You should know that in that. This is how it works. This is what he means by revealing the Father. So the world doesn't know us, um, uh, the Father, because this is specific information. You saw the communication plan. Now, the, this communication plan didn't start until Pentecost, even though Christ was introducing it, doing a good job with the disciples. I'm sure they were scratching their head. A lot of this stuff is not in their theology at all. But he, he was able to communicate it. The disciples figured it out and using the aid of the Spirit that they had at that point, but not what is coming at Pentecost. Christ clearly said, when the Spirit comes, you'll understand this better. And he says, uh, that's point E, um, knowing the Father is knowing the Father's plan, which is <clears throat> given to Jesus and made understandable to us by the Spirit of Truth. We already read that. Let's go to point F. What will the world say to what the Spirit of Truth has revealed? I know we're getting close on our time here, but we, we still got a little bit. What will the world say to what the Spirit of Truth has revealed to us, right? Or what kind of information is it that um, uh, the Spirit will reveal when he comes at Pentecost? This is Christ telling us a lot of information as we covered these four chapters, John 14 through 17. We've covered a lot of information about what happens when the Spirit comes, this new dynamic that's going to be going on then. So I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 14 to understand how the world will receive this. First, I, I say all this so that you are not surprised by what the Spirit reveals and how the world would receive it. Don't be surprised by it. So 1 Corinthians 2 if I read verse 14, it says the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them. Now, if we stop that there, it cannot he considers them foolishness, cannot understand them. Uh, you know, they're going to say the things that come from the Spirit are foolish, but really... They're going to eventually turn to you and say, you're foolish. So, it's the things that come from the Spirit of God, are we supposed to just internalize them? Or are we supposed to tell people about the things that come from the Spirit? Well, verse 13, this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught us by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So the person who doesn't have the Spirit will not understand them. So it says, they cannot understand them 
because they are discerned only through the Spirit. You can only receive these, you can only understand these through the Spirit. You have to be a recipient of the Spirit in order for this information to make sense to you. It won't make sense to your human mind. And it sounds crazy, but if you go to verse 9, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. And what are the, what is that? The things God has prepared for those who love him. So obviously, you won't get these things as a baby Christian, but you've got to come to the place where you do reciprocate, where you want to know. You're devoted to the Father's planet. But the whole point here is, uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. It is not something that people, without this under the aid of the Holy Spirit, could understand. It is not. But look, look at verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, which these are the deep things of God. So this is what we teach, this is what we talk about, this is what we've been talking about. What would a person who does not get information this way, what would they say? If they don't have the spirit of truth, what would they say? person... Uh, without the Spirit, does not accept the things. So don't, there's going to be opposition. That's what this is saying. They don't, there's going to be opposition with re respect to the things that we may say about the Spirit. They won't accept the things. Why? Because they will say it's foolishness. Because it's things that eyes have, their eyes haven't been able to see. Their ears, humanity, it's beyond humanity because the things of God is what they are it's not human things that we're revealing here that the spirit is revealing to us not human things these are things that pertain to the father's plan that plan which was hidden if you go back to verse 7 no we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Before, well, how would we know what happened before time began? How could we possibly know? Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. These things are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. So that's how we, ought to, that's how we can know. That's how we do know this information. Okay, so that's an important fact to understand. Uh, and where is this? Remember we said all this information was given to Christ and the Spirit would make it known to us. Verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord as so to instruct him? But we have, it says, the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We said it was deposited with Christ, but the Spirit makes it known. That's literally, perfectly what Christ said and how he said it would operate. 
what does Paul do here? He articulates it and expands on it, helps us even understand it better, what Jesus told us in John 16 there. Quite interesting, quite interesting. So we're going to have to stop at this point. We will um, pick this up next week. We should be able to finish it. But uh, we are, as we are saying, we're closing in on the end of this chapter, this prayer. So no rush. We're going to take our time and work through it. Uh, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, Christ is going to say, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. The world doesn't know this stuff. Right? This is not something that we could go out to the world and tell them. This is internal. And if, <laughs> if we do tell them, they're not going to understand it because they don't have the spirit, the spirit of truth. It's the only source of revelation is the spirit of truth. If we don't, if a person doesn't have the spirit of truth, they, they would never understand this. And this goes for a person who is an unbeliever, that they don't believe in Christ, they're not saved. And this goes for people who may be saved, but are confused about which dispensation they're in, whether or not they understand the ground in which on which they stand. They don't understand that we're in this age and, you know, we're not under the law and we're not, you know, spiritual Israel or, or otherwise. And they're going to they're not going to be focused on these this new revelation from the spirit of truth. So what are they going to say? They're going to say it's foolishness because they're not using the spirit as a source of information. So we're going to continue this thought next week. And uh, we're headed toward the end of Christ's prayer. So exciting as this, these chapters have been, all good things will come to an end. But God has still more for us. So wherever he leads us next, I'm sure he's going to continue to talk to us in this manner. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for the communication um, platform that you have given us which includes the father the son the spirit right you've told us how these things uh, are given to us so that the body of christ can be built up and till we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge in the son of god and become mature attaining to the whole measure fullness of christ stature the full stature of Christ. We thank you, Father, that we have all of this ahead of us, something that we can grow and learn and understand, see eye to eye with your plan, what you have seen before time began. And you've included us, you chose us in him. This is the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. We thank you for including us in this. And we thank you for the content of what, it, what, what you have included us to. And we thank you for this church where we are able to talk about these things freely. We pray that you will bring us back next week so we can continue this conversation about what you did 
what you planned in eternity past. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.